It's also looking for the border patrol right in front of right. us. So as, as you could hear, guys, we've got a, a spotter right here. He kind of just walked up on us, seeing what we were doing. <laughs> that was a creepy smile. <laughs> adult males, I think it's like 68% of, of the crossers are actually single adult males coming across. And like President Trump said, I'm sure some of them are good people. They're not all criminals, but every single one of those people paid a criminal to get here, and that's not okay. This, you know, emotional appeal about, oh, it's so terrible that people, they're wrapped in aluminum blankets like little, you know, burritos. Oh, well, it's so sad. Yeah, it is sad, but it's also sad that these people spend three and four months in stash houses without being able to see the light of day and literally cooking in cinder blocks. It's my last night here in Mexico. I'm going out to the border this evening with my night camera and I'm gonna film and I guarantee you Everett, I know I'm gonna see people crossing. I'd like to say to President Donald Trump that the things that you were doing were working. It's you gave you gave our nation the most secure border that we've ever had and we need you back in office. I feel the sweet sound of freedom and I won't be Hey everybody, it's Everett with Ohio for Freedom coming to you live from Blackwall Studios here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And my guest this evening is Dominic Box of the Chatham Free Press. We are so thrilled to have him all the way from Juarez, Mexico. He has got some exciting things to share with us. And so Dominic, welcome to the program. Yeah, Everett, thanks for having me. Hi to everybody, the Ohio for Freedom audience. It's an honor to be here. Uh, I've kept up with some of the reporting you guys are doing and um, I'm very excited to kind of share a little bit about what I've been doing down here at the U.S.-Mexico border. Well, yeah, let's talk about that U.S.-Mexico border. I, I want to, first of all, Mexico is a wonderful country, but Juarez has kind of sort of a reputation for being a little bit on the uh, you better be careful side. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think they say it's like the second most deadly city in North America. It is somewhere that I've always been told you absolutely don't go there. And like, you know, a lot of people from my generation and probably some from yours too, the more you tell me not to do something, the more excited and interested I am to get out and do it. And uh, I, I've got to say the things that I, I heard about Juarez, I, I wish I could say they weren't true, but this is not, this is not Cancun. This is not Acapulco. This is not somewhere that I would recommend really anybody coming to <laughs> spend any time on vacation, but there is understandably a lot of interest, deservedly so, in what's going on at our nation's southern border. And, um, you know, somebody's got to get down here and tell the true story and show what's really going on. And I'm honored to, to be doing that. Okay. Well, so we're all wondering what was the motivation there. But take a, let's just take a minute. And I, if you could just tell us, just introduce yourself like a 60-second bio. But I want to start by asking this. My father was a French-Canadian born uh, in northern Wisconsin, don't you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my mother was from Mississippi. That's where my real... So I, I grew up with different appreciation for different dialects and where people are from. Dominic Box, what, what kind of name is that? Yeah, so um, I come from a Polish-Welsh background. Um, my, my great-grandparents immigrated from, from Poland on my grandmother's side and from Wales on my great-grandfather's side. Um, I grew up in southwest Missouri in a little town called Joplin. And an interesting tidbit about Missouri 
The yeah. reason there's so many telemarketing operations out there is because they say that we don't have an accent. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm I'm from Southwest Missouri. I'm a proud Razorback hog. I graduated from the University <laughs> of Arkansas in 2012. Um, got initially involved in politics there. Okay. Um, I founded a Young Americans for Liberty chapter. Right. Um, I initially kind of got on board with the Ron Paul campaign helped work and volunteer with them in the 2008 and 2012 election cycles. Right. And that was the first time that I really came into contact with the power that traditional media has in yeah. really dictating our reality and, and telling us or programming us to believe whatever they say is going on is the only thing that's, that's happening. And, and, you know, being involved in that campaign, I saw enthusiasm that I'd not seen um, until President Trump came on the stage. And right. um, to be honest with you, Everett, after I saw the way that, that Dr. Paul was treated, I, I really got kind of jaded and checked out of politics until yeah. the until about 2015 during the, the, the Republican primary season. You know, initially, I, you know, I thought Donald Trump running for president. That's right. insane. Yeah. And then I turned off the new sound bites that the majority of us got to listen to really sat down and listened to his speech. And I said, that's a guy who's talking my language. Yeah. And it was, it was off to the races from there. Cool. Cool. All right. So how does that translate into your, how much are you getting paid to go down to Juarez, Mexico? <laughs> um, yeah. So as of yet, I've not been paid a dime, but okay. I do, I do get paid in the, knowledge and understanding that I'm sharing a truth and a perspective that's not often shown. And I've got people reaching out to me from across the world saying, oh my God, we had no idea what this really looked like down here. And I realized myself, you know, I, I've studied the illegal immigration issue um, for, for many years. I, I gave a pretty impassioned speech about it in 2008 um, in my communications class at the University of Arkansas. I still right. get a lot of comments on YouTube about that. But mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know, I mean, thankfully, it's, you know, I, I consider myself a citizen journalist. Yeah. At the moment, it doesn't it doesn't pay my bills. I have a regular day job that yeah. thankfully I'm able to work remotely. And, you know, I'm, I'm still young and in pretty decent, decent shape. And yeah. I don't have any kids or a wife or anything that's nagging and telling me not to go. And right. I figured it, the opportunity presented itself to go to some of these locations where there's a lot of interest or potential stories, then I'm going to do it because, I know after some of the things I've been involved in, and I'm sure you you can say the same as well, um, if our population is solely reliant on the traditional media, then we're really doing ourselves a disservice because the whole story is often not told and little bits and pieces get told, but the truth is out there and it takes people like yourself and myself to hopefully tell the whole story. And that's, you know, I didn't come down here to push a narrative or anything. Right. I wanted to capture some video and different clips and really see for myself what was really going on at our nation's southern border. And I got to tell you, Everett, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm shocked, I'm disgusted, and I'm concerned about the future because, you know, we can get into the statistics, but our border is not secure, Everett, not, okay. not by a long shot. Right, right. Well, so we, we've determined that uh, it's not money motivation. I was being a little facetious. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you're, um, and so, what let's just jump right in what what's the most shocking thing that you've actually eyeballed witnessed since you've been down there so i'd have i'd have to say two things okay. um you know everybody everybody talks about how wise is 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 dominated i can say this now because i'm in my hotel room right owned by the cartels 
And right. I can tell you that's 100,000% true. I was out, you know, I had a, I had a, a friend who's a journalist for Vice, CNN, and Business Insider, a freelance guy by the name of Luis Chaparro. Yes. Um, Lchaparro.com. Look him up. Um, yeah. And we we pulled off the road. Not So there, there's a main road there in Juarez. It's called Avenue of the Americas. We're not 20 yards from the road. And there's the Rio Grande, or the, or the Rio Bravo, as they call it on the Mexican side. I'm outside for two or three minutes, literally, and you see this very shifty looking guy walk over. I look at Luis and I said, what's that? And he said, that's an organization spotter. And that's the, that's the term that they use down here because they can't say the C word. They can't call it the cartel. And that was very, very interesting to me because I, I'm a talkative guy, Everett. Yeah. You know, any one of my taxi drivers, my Uber drivers, yeah. I'm asking them, you know, what's it like living in a cartel dominated city? And it's, Oh no, Don't. you know, don't say don't say that word so it's the organization and you know this guy i mean he looked like a drug addict but he had those crazy eyes of a killer and he walked right up to us took my picture took luis's picture and then turned around and immediately started tapping on his phone so luis very quickly said hey we gotta go and i mean we went on down the road and right it's it's not you know i, I didn't think it was a joke but I, I guess I didn't really appreciate just how serious it is because, I mean, it, it's no, I mean, and these guys all have guns on their hips and it's very, it's very, it's very obvious who they are and what they're doing. And, and but I would say probably ever the, the most, the most shocking and difficult thing for me to even like really sort of process right now is the prevalence of, you've heard of the stash houses where they keep right. drugs and people, um, these are not these are not homes or houses that you would commonly think of. These are cinder block shed type structures that are they're literally right there on the side of the road, not 50 yards from the U.S. border. But the problem is these things are, are cinder block hot boxes. Every single window and, and opening is 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 covered in, in black. Um tarps and every entrance and exit is is their iron iron chains and they're padlocked and you know i i i pray that there was nobody in there but the reality is there are 35 to 45 hundred migrants crossing our southern border every single day so the reality is there were there were people in those houses the police the migration nacional the Mexican Immigration Police, USCBP, they know what's going on there and they're operating out in the open. It's not, they're not hidden. They're not trying to be discreet about it. I mean, if you were to drive down a street in Cincinnati right. and you saw a house with the windows blacked out and iron chains on the door, you're going to call the police and they're going to kick the door in. That's not yeah. happening here in Mexico. Wow. And the problem is that's right on our Southern, it's, it's 20, 20, 30 yards away from the United States. That's unbelievable. And so everybody, everybody going by, walking by, drive, everybody knows what they are. And, 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 and everybody and, knows what they are and pretends that it doesn't exist at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Or, or it's just accepted. And that's what was really scary is, you know, that area right there by the border is understandably, it's a very, very economically depressed area. So it's, you know, there, there are very, 
not normal by our standards, but normal by Mexican standard neighborhoods in Juarez. This is the slum of the slum of the slums. Okay. And, but there are, you know, it was, it was crazy because there were kids out just running around right in front of these houses that have the, I mean, it's, 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 it's really horrifying. And, and I can, I can kind of taste it right now. There's a smell in the air right out there. And if you've ever smelled, and I hate to say it, if you ever smelled a dead body, that's a smell that you, you don't forget it's unique to anything else. And there's the smell of trash, open sewage and death. That's, that's just permeates that entire area. It's something I'll never forget. So these stash houses are full of that. They're for people. They're, 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 they're full of people. Absolutely. And what I, what, what I learned while I was down here is, you know, there's, there's, there's a common misconception that a lot of these drugs are being smuggled by the migrants themselves as they're crossing the desert. And, and yes, that does happen in some ways, but the majority of these people that are crossing, again, 35 to 4,500 people every single day, right. they're coming into contact with Border Patrol at some point, oftentimes after they've already made their way into the interior. And it's not beneficial for the cartel to run that risk of having their their drugs, their guns, and other right. things seized by the CBP. So the massive amount of an influx of drugs that we're seeing here, fentanyl, heroin, meth, that's coming right across the Paso to the uh, Puente Internacional, right across the International Bridge in the cars. And you know, that was something that I that I experienced. You know, I walked myself right across the bridge a couple of times. And if you've ever traveled to Mexico and flown out um, in the Mexican airports, they have like a red light, green light system. Right. So there's no, there's no method to the madness of how they check things. There's a lot of, from what I've learned, um, it, it is corruption. Um, there are Mexican border guards that are paid off, U.S. border guards that are paid off. And there's really, there's no legitimate security measures that I saw that were in place to stop and search everybody that was coming into the United States. And what was really interesting is I actually came back into Mexico three times and not once did I even have to show any identification and my passport. I, I, you walk through this area called the customs and border review area. Two times that I did that, there was literally nobody there. Not a single soul inside. Nobody there. Nobody Nobody there. there. Nobody there. There's a room and you just walk right through. It's a self-serve border and it's, we're on the honor system. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Now, again, so I'm going to be I will be crossing back um, into El Paso tomorrow. And and I did speak to some U.S. border guards who told me that, well, yes, sir, there will be, you know, some significant searches. Your bags will be searched. You'll have to prove your identity. But I'm going to be honest. I I really don't know if that's going to be the case. I hope it is. But based on my experience so far, uh, there's (laughs) there's a serious lack of actual security at the border. It feels almost like security theater like you'll see these guys you know I, I saw for example i saw one they're called the guardia nacional and they're supposed yeah. to be the mexican border police but in speaking to luis he told me that they're not even allowed to stop migrants if if even if they catch them on the mexican side all they're allowed to do by mexican law is advise the migrants who oftentimes aren't even from mexico that it's a dangerous crossing and that they shouldn't do it well Obviously, these people are still crossing. And again, so I, I saw one one truck running by. They had guns. They actually waved their machine guns at us to say hello, which was um, a little disconcerting. 
I saw two, I, I will give the US border guards credit. I didn't see two CBP trucks kind of going up and down in a very um, obvious routine. So right. if I was somebody, you know, a cartel smuggler, a migrant, all I would have to do is time the route, which seemed to be about like, like a 15 to 20 minute increment. I'd walk right across, no problem. So if that was your your gig or your uh, job or whatever, if you were down there, you could get the lay of the land and get it figured out pretty easily. I had it figured out in 30 minutes. My gosh, my gosh. Yeah, and, 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 and they've got, keep in mind, this is, this is a billion dollar industry for these right. cartels. So yeah, I saw what looked like a really raggedy, you know, drug addict murderer type guy looking at me, but there are people in all houses, all on the bridge, watching and they have i would i would venture to say that the cartels down here have more security and surveillance operations ongoing than our own government and ever that's a problem that is a problem let me ask you this i think i know where we'll eventually land up but so someone comes from guatemala honduras whatever uh, they let's just say it's a given you have to work with the cartels to cross the border Here's where I'm going with this. Once they, because this might fast forward us a little bit, once they actually make it into America, are they free? Uh, absolutely not. Um, Explain so, that. So every, and this is this is something that I'd not really thought of until I got here, but you hear all about these these migrant caravans and it's just these these sons and these daughters, mothers and their children, you know, they're, they're, they're walking 3,000 miles from Guatemala to cross the border by themselves. That's a lie. Yeah. It's being perpetuated by our government and the media. The cartels own every inch of this border. And you do not you do not make it across that border unless you've paid off somebody in that organization, because that's what those guys are doing right there. You know, yeah, they're watching the people like me who are up there filming and taking pictures. But if they it's it's an entire network that works its way up from uh, i would imagine from the tip of south america all up through central america and eventually to el paso nogales and donna texas or, or new mexico wherever they cross i was told by, by by three different people that it is absolutely impossible to make it across that border unless you've paid someone in the cartel and been given that green light i mean you these are not just your common street gangs. These are multi-billion dollar international criminal organizations right. with influence in the government of our government, the Mexican government, the Central American government. Yeah. And I'm, it, it, it truly, to me, it seems like they're almost, man, it's not even a stretch of a, a stretch of it to say these cartels have more power than the Mexican government. And they're, they have they have assets in our intelligence agencies, yep. in our military, and it's 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 really terrifying to think about. But to get back to your question, you yeah. asked me if the people are free when they get across the border. Right. No, these people are indebted to the cartel because you imagine your typical migrant. Um, you know, let's call him Jose. He's eighteen. He's from Guatemala. It's going to cost Jose five thousand dollars to get from his village up to the border. Well, Jose doesn't have five thousand dollars under his mattress. So what he does is he gets indebted and they're given, I mean, this is a, an organized operation. They're given a ledger, they have receipts. And 
I, I didn't get specific enough to find out really how they pay off this debt on their way up there. But another terrifying thing that I learned, you know, so imagine Jose, he gets across the border. He some if he doesn't apply for asylum, he's lucky enough to sneak through and, you know, get to, to Dallas or Houston, Galveston, somewhere like that. Well, he still owes that debt. And this criminal organization is they're not going to forget. And if you if Jose gets away, well, they know where Jose's family in Guatemala is. And by some way, they will pay or people will die. And the the real the really scary and sad thing that I learned and had not thought about is just because Jose makes it to the border. Let's say Jose makes it to the border today, June 23rd. There's no guarantee that the cartel is going to let him cross tomorrow. I heard about a, a gentleman, and that's something a lot of people don't realize. You know, it, it's a multi-month situation. I heard about a guy, I'll use Guatemala as a reference because I, I heard this story specifically. A guy makes it up from, from Guatemala. He's indebted for $5,000. Well, th again, they don't just let you cross. That's when you get put into one of these stash houses. And it's not a, it's not a lavish little hotel room like I'm in. It's, it's a cinder block shed with 30, 40, 50, 60 other people. Maybe you'll get a little, maybe you'll get a little bit of food and water every day. Maybe not. You're not leaving that room. And if you want to, because they've packed in so many people, then you can pay another bribe. And this is, this is not a joke. This is not an exaggeration. I heard about a specific story of a young man from Guatemala who had paid $5,000 to get to the border. He was trapped, trapped in, in a, stash. a stash house for three months, he's that he, the, the cartel lets them lets him use a phone, and they tell him if you want out of this stash house and you want to cross today, it's fifteen thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars now that he owes to this cartel, and this particular gentleman, unfortunately, he I don't know if he was on the verge of death, he was scared what, but his father down in a village in Guatemala had. This is a true story. Every single person in the village pulled all of their money together to pay off the $15,000. And you know what the cartel did? They cut him loose and said, you're not crossing, go back. So Jose is now indebted $5,000 to the cartel. And the whole village. And the whole village for nothing. So you don't cross this border without making a deal with the devil and then after you've made that deal with the devil that devil can change it can get a whole lot worse the, the devil decides whether or not you cross whether you live whether you die and it's it's it, it's just it's opened my eyes to the reality of this situation because I, i'm going to be honest with you i genuinely i thought it may have been excessive it may have been extreme for somebody to walk from belize and then cross the border but now that i realize that 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 just doesn't happen and I know now that these migrant caravans are a lie. It's 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 terrifying because every, every one of these migrants, and keep in mind, we're talking about 35 to 4,500 a day are paying upwards of five, 10, 15, 20 thousand dollars to the cartel. A lot of money. We're funding we're funding these organizations that are wreaking havoc across yeah. Central and South America and, and in our own country. Well, Dominic, I want to I want to really thank you and applaud you, because honestly, this concept of basically you if you make it to America, you're still a slave. There's slavery in America today, and it's the people that have come to America for freedom. But just to, do me a little favor. Explore this with me. So that was a 15 year old kid. OK, 15 year old kid, 20 year old kid, male. He crosses the border. 
He's in debt to the cartel. They know his family back home. They know where he's going. How does he pay that debt off? I, I think oftentimes the debt actually increases, but they're going to now. From what I understand, there are certain there are there are different kind of checkpoints along the way, depending on where these 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 migrants want to go. There are you know you hear about a lot of factories or different farms and yeah and businesses that employ illegal illegal migrants or illegal immigrants, and, and so they're they're working in these oftentimes horrible conditions. Things that I mean for up and I've, I've got I've got sympathy for these people. I, I understand. Oh, yeah. I understand wanting a better life, but they're 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 in 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 striving for that better life. They're ultimately funding and encouraging this these illegal these illegal criminal these excuse me these criminal transnational organizations to to bolster what it is they're already doing and expand that. So it, it may take years for the, the you know this fifteen year old twenty year old kid to pay off the debt, but oftentimes, you know, once Jose gets across, then, you know, Josefina thinks, oh, well, she needs to come up too, or Jose wants his mom and his dad to come up too. So then there's 20,000 more dollars that the cartel has, and they just get roped into this network of, of, of criminal behavior. And anybody that tells you that, that it, it's, oh, they just want a better life, and they're just you know, it's it's this, you know, these these mothers, these parents, these these families that want to get across. Well, they're a party to transnational criminal activity, plain and simple. And so 15 year old Josefina and we're just using an ethnic name. You know, I, right. I've got family members that are every ethnicity, but sure. young a 15 year old female. How do they expect her to pay off the debt as a father? I don't even want to think about that. Well, I've got I've got a lot of pictures of things of, of on the street signs here in Juarez, and I, I'm sure there's a bunch in El Paso too. A lot of them are either forced into by by way of a gun or out of necessity into prostitution, into drug dealing, or or, or joining different organizations here on the states. And and, and a figure that I heard was that seventy percent, upwards of seventy percent of the migrant women that make the trek to the north or to, to our southern border are victims of sexual assault, rape, molestation, and things like that. And, and that's before they get to the border. Yeah. So what we're doing is compassionate or not compassionate? It, it's it, We're not doing anything. We're, we're facilitating. It's not compassionate. It's not, you know, people need to really take, take a an honest, logical look at the numbers of people that are coming across our border. We've got, in the month of April, of, of April 2021, there were 180,000 apprehensions at our nation's southern border. That is a that is a major city every month crossing the border. You multiply 180,000 by 5,000 or 10,000, it's yeah. absurd. And again, you know, one of the things that I that I um, that I heard from Luis was after 9-11, you know, prior to 9-11, people in Juarez were able to cross relatively freely up to El Paso and, you know, go get drinks, come back, walk across. But understandably, after 9-11, Homeland Security and the militarization of our nation's southern border really became a serious thing. And I asked, I asked this journalist, I said, what, 
what can the U.S., what can we as Americans do differently to alleviate this issue? And he said, we've got to take a humanitarian approach. And I, you know, I, I thought, oh, you know, it's kind of a cop out, but, you know, so, I, and I really, I'm going to be honest, Everett, I don't even really know what he meant by that, but just the, the idea that, you know, the, the thought that we can repel people from the border with, you know, fences and, you know, an occasional military truck driving by, it isn't working. So I don't know right. if we need, I don't know what the solution is. I do know that we need to, our, our borders exist for a reason. We right. need to finish the wall. We need to secure our Southern border. And then if we want to talk about, you know, facilitating economic development in Central and Latin America, by all means, you know, we can have that conversation. But until we stop the 4,000 people that are crossing our Southern border every day, it's, sure. you know, it, it's putting a Band-Aid on an amputation. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. I have learned some things talking to you, uh, Dominic, that I, I hadn't thought about before, hadn't learned before, and I sure didn't hear it from any of the professional media out there. What would you like to say to the professional media regarding this issue? I'd say get down here and show the truth. Stop showing, stop showing children and mothers huddled in cages and, and calling it, you know, concentration camps. Show the conditions that the cartel is putting these people that are putting these people in. Show the concentration camps that these people are forced into on our southern border and 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 talk about the numbers. Talk about the criminal element. Talk about the amount of money that really is going in to this issue. And then ask me if we really need to facilitate and allow all these people to cross, because these asylum seekers these people that are crossing and saying, oh, they're in fear for their lives. Oh, they're, they're fleeing violence in Guatemala. They didn't get here on their own two feet. They got here on the back of a smuggler who was extorting them the whole way. And by, by not showing the reality of this situation and pretending like it's just a bunch of families and children, it's a lie. Because the majority of these people are, or at least I've got the statistics somewhere, the majority of them are our single adult males, I think it's like 68% of the, of the crossers are actually single adult males coming across. And like President Trump said, I'm sure some of them are good people. They're not all criminals, but every single one of those people paid a criminal to get here. And that's not okay. I, I, I would just say if the, if, if the average American citizen had any idea what was actually going on at the border and wasn't diluted with these these this you know emotional appeal about oh it's so terrible that people they're wrapped in aluminum blankets like little you know burritos oh well, it's so sad yeah it is sad but it's also sad that these people spend three and four months in stash houses without even being able to see the light of day and literally cooking in cinder blocks I never knew about stash houses till uh, till you. I, I so once again, I I want to applaud you for for what you're doing. So we're the media is trying to tell us that these 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 and we have compassion for everybody, but these asylum seekers are so oppressed that they, they have to put themselves in bondage to the, one of the most brutal regimes in the world, the cartel. That 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 argument just kind of falls apart, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And you've got to, you know, they're, they're they're fleeing violence and then using these violent organizations to get to the border. So it's there. 
yes, Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, they're not the United States. Absolutely, they've got issues. But having, having issues in your home country is not a free pass to come into our country. There is a legal yeah. process that needs to be followed. And the more we get away from that fact, the more we encourage this illegal immigration and the more we ultimately facilitate the growth and strengthening of these transnational criminal organizations that literally take joy in using chainsaws to flay people alive. And it's horrible to say, but this is a reality. The look in the eyes of the guy who came up and took my picture, Everett, I had no doubt if that guy wanted to, if I would have looked at him wrong, he would have shot me dead right there and not thought twice about it. I, I was trying not to go here, Dominic, and we're going to wrap up here in a moment. But and I mentioned this to you last night when we talked, we we send our sons and daughters to places like Afghanistan to fight this nebulous. You know, I'm not saying there's definitely no, but we have a an enormously powerful, evil, wicked force right on the other side of our border. And are we paying attention to that or is our nation basically ignoring it and give them a free reign? Everett, if we wanted to stop the illegal immigration problem, we could do it overnight. We have the technology. We have the resources. What we don't have is the attention and the proper, honest discussion about what's really going on down here. And I'm almost, you can probably tell by my voice, it's getting, it gets me mad because I, I had these ideas about what was going on down here and to actually be down here. And I'm, I'm going to go back. It's my last night here in Mexico. I've not been out there at night, but I'm going out to the border this evening with my night camera and I'm going to film and I guarantee you Everett, I know I'm going to see people crossing and it makes it, it really, it makes you sick because yes, I have, I have sympathy for these people, but what I'm witnessing is the, the cartel, the cartel operating with impunity less than a football field away from El Paso. And you know, what's, you know, what's really crazy. The university of Texas, El Paso has these massive structures that overlook the Rio Grande, right where I saw migrants literally swimming across the border. Like it's it's right there, and we play you know this out of sight, out of mind game. Well, it's happening. I mean, it's people have no idea how close a major developed American city is to the operations of these billion dollar cartel operations, and it's 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 horrifying. It's maddening that we're not having an honest discussion about it. And people, you need to wake up because, yes, I, I, I believe in the American dream. I know that there's nowhere else on earth I would rather live. And I am dang proud to be an American. But if you want to be an American, you need to go about the process the right way. And you need, well, that's another, that's another conversation. That's yeah, another yeah. conversation. Yeah. Well, I know of at least one other conversation you and I go. I hope I hope to have in the future, and it has to do with a certain date in January. But um, as we wrap up here, my friend, and again, I really, really appreciate it. You've got a little. I want to spend a minute or two on that hashtag that's been so successful for you. Maybe that'll put us on a cheerful note. And then, I, and I'm going to close by asking you if you have anything that you'd like to say to the president, but uh, the president, president. But uh, tell us about this hashtag. Yeah. So uh, I'm a social media guy um, and, you know, I've been a marketing guy for a long time, but the whole, the whole idea behind this trip was to find out why Kamala Harris has not been to the Southern border. It's been over 90 days since she was named the, the border czar. 
And so I started using the hashtag, Donde esta Kamala? We've been to the border. We're going to the border. 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 I'm at the border. border. I'm not going. Sorry. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. But it's really funny. You know, people started sharing out the hashtag, sharing the video. I've got some shirts that say, Donde esta Kamala? Well, coincidence or not, the day I leave and get back to Georgia, Kamala Harris will be in El Paso. And I really, you know, I'd like to think that it was because of my hashtag that was that was bringing her down here and she couldn't ignore it any longer. I was. But uh, I do know President Trump will be here on the 30th. He's accepted an invitation from Governor Abbott. And uh, I really think it's funny if you look at that, you know, she couldn't allow herself to be beat to the border by the Chatham Free Press and President Donald Trump. Right. Well, why don't we close up? What uh, do you have anything you'd like to say about the border to uh, President Donald Trump? I'd like to say to President Donald Trump that the things that you were doing were working. It's you gave you gave our nation the most secure border that we've ever had. And we need you back in office because the longer Joe Biden and his minions are allowed to ruin, ruin the progress that you made, the worse off this country is going to be. And I, I thank you, President Trump, for the work that you've done and continue to do. And I look forward to one day seeing you in the White House again, because not only out of my personal preference, but this country needs you. And Everett, if, if it's okay, to your <laughs> audience, if you guys haven't already, check out the Chatham Free Press on Facebook. And Everett, um, after this, send me your address. I'd love to send you a shirt. Oh, man, I'll take you up on that. I don't think we could end on a better note. Thank you for what you're doing. Now, you're not going out alone tonight. You've got you got somebody watching your back? Uh, I, I'm a, I, I'm. Yeah, uh, you don't have to. You don't have to divulge your plans. I just, you're yeah. gonna, my prayers. Are, it, this is live here. Uh, it's going to be rebroadcast, but you're in my prayers, man. And I know God's got His hand on you, Dominic. We are really proud of you and looking for uh, great things in your future, man. Really are. Keep it up. Thank you, Everett. Thank you to Ohio for freedom. All right, buddy. Good night. Now, thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay. Bye, bye.